welcome in to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. We're the podcast for Vol Basketball fans everywhere. We bring you discussions, debates, and the latest news of the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. Welcome in, everyone, to the new format of the podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley, and you're listening to the new Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I appreciate all of you who all the support and stuff on social media we've gotten so far uh, from this and the announcement that I made, uh, I believe it was Friday, before the men's team tipped off in the NCAA tournament, which we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but for those of you who haven't heard, the little seven, eight-minute um, kind of intro podcast that I, I put out on Friday and saw the minute-and-a-half video audiogram I put out on Twitter as well and Facebook, this will now be dedicated almost exclusively to Tennessee men's and women's basketball, both the Vols and Lady Vols. We'll still talk about some SEC stuff, you know, as it pertains to Tennessee, just kind of SEC at large, college basketball at large, because Gene and I, you know, and whoever else I have on here as guests or as hosts um, for future podcast episodes too, we watch more than just Tennessee. So we'll talk a little bit more about other stuff, but it'll mostly be about Tennessee basketball. And I wanted to bring on a, a podcast that focuses exclusively on Vol basketball, because I feel like most ones out there talk about vol football and basketball and i wanted to have one that kind of focused a little bit more fine-tuned uh, towards basketball both the men's and women's at the university of tennessee so gene it's good to be back in here with you recording obviously not back in our studio where we're doing this virtually remotely but still good to be back here recording with you man it's it's been too long i hope you're doing well oh man things are well man just uh you know busy as always number of different things kind of working through but um Obviously, you know, getting opportunities to, you know, to record podcasts and, you know, just mindless dribble for about 20, 30 minutes uh, is never a bad idea in my world. Absolutely. And we have a lot to talk about, so we'll hop into it. And I'll give you all a little bit more info about the show moving forward um, later on in the episode. But all you need to know is that I think hopefully by the time this comes out, all the RSS feeds and stuff should be updated. I know Spotify is updated. I think we have a new Google Podcast link, so I'll, I'll include that um, on our social media and stuff. And I hopefully I've submitted the RSS feed to refresh and update for Apple Podcasts. So hopefully, if you are already subscribed to or were already subscribed to the SEC Fever Podcast um, and Apple Podcasts, you should already be subscribed to this one. And if not, um, I'll, I'll tweet out links and stuff for everybody to be able to go and subscribe. Our handles are at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and we're Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. So follow us on there, give us a like, all that stuff if you haven't already, but a lot of you already have. And again, a lot of our built in fan base was Tennessee fans. So I know a lot of you are probably happy with it. And for those of you who aren't, I, I do apologize. I just wanted to, you know, doing this for fun, not getting paid really to do it. So I wanted to talk about stuff I'm, I'm more passionate about more that I watch, and I just realized I didn't have, you know, all the energy to try to keep up with 14 different teams all by myself when it's not, like, my main job. So G and I will talk, you know, still about some SEC schools and stuff, especially right now with tournament time and other SEC schools advancing. But for now, it'll mostly be Tennessee basketball and Lady Balls basketball as well. Well, Gene, Tennessee's pretty, I would say, disappointing season came to a disappointing and uh, really just almost disastrous end, I guess, on Friday with Tennessee playing Oregon State in the first round of the NCAA tournament and never, I don't think they ever led in that game. Pretty sure they trailed from the beginning and it wasn't particularly close at any point in the second half. They fell behind by as much as 20. I think 
they may have cut it down to like 10 at one point. I don't think they ever got it back into single digits, um, the deficit in the second half. And then Tennessee goes on to lose 70-56. I think it was the first time in Tennessee history in the NCAA tournament they were held below 20 points in the first half. It was 33-19 to at, at halftime. And again, Gene, just like the story for most of the season for Tennessee, the offense was doing next to nothing in that game against Oregon State. It, it, and, you know, credit to Oregon State, they are playing really well right now. They, they went on a run, won the Pac-12 tournament, and now, obviously, they advanced on to the round of 32. I don't think they're playing right now as we're recording this, but we are, we are recording this on Sunday afternoon. So it'll be interesting to see if Oregon State is able to, you know, go and do anything in, in the NCAA tournament or not. But, Gene, this is not about Oregon State. This is about Tennessee and Tennessee season ended in major disappointment. A team that was once ranked number six in the country that was a, a basically a preseason top ten team and is a team that was in the top ten for several weeks in the AP poll finished the regular season unranked and then they finished the season after going ten and one to start the year, eighteen and nine. And Gene, I thought you made a good point. It was a pretty succinct, pretty short tweet, but I thought you made a really good point in the second half of Tennessee's lost Oregon State on a Friday when you said you recruit offense and you coach defense. And I think that was Tennessee's biggest problem with this specific roster. It, it obviously, you know, Rick Barnes' teams in the past, um, I sure think it was a problem too, but I think you look at, you know, the Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, Jordan Bowen, those guys had offense, and I think they, they had decent defensive foundations, and I think Rick Barnes and his staff were able to build upon that. But those teams, obviously, especially the one that made the Sweet 16 run, very good offensively. I mean, that was a, a really good... They, they set school records in some respects with their offense um, that season. This year's team, Gene, aside from getting you know some pretty decent performances at times from Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson, uh, Victor Bailey would be kind of hit or miss, but he'd have some good games. Sometimes the Scobie would. Most of the time this season, offense has been a, a... or was a big issue for this team. And Gene, moving forward, I, we, we could talk a little bit more about this season... I guess in a second too, but I think moving forward, I said on Twitter that I think what this team has to do in this offseason, they have to go pursue some transfers who are three-point shooters and a, a, a post player who isn't just going to be a big guy who takes up space, but a guy who's an athletic, whether it's just a forward who's a six seven six eight guy or something, who's not afraid to attack the basket and go to the rim because Tennessee, if they didn't have, if it wasn't for Keon Johnson and, and sometimes Springer, they didn't have a guy this year who, besides those two, who, you know, had the athleticism, had the speed, or had the want to, to go attack the rim if they couldn't jack up a three-point shot. Now, there, there are too many times this season Tennessee settled for jumpers and settled for threes when they aren't, and they weren't, a great shooting team. The percentages show it. They just weren't a good shooting team overall. So I think those are the point of emphasis to me is I, I want to see Tennessee go get maybe some versatile players with some guys who can shoot from three and a forward who's actually going to go attack the basket. Eve Pons should have been that guy. He's an athletic guy who who can leap out of the out of the arena, but just, he just wasn't doing that this year. He wasn't a guy who was attacking the basket consistently enough to go score 10, 11, 12 points a game. He, he averaged just under nine. So, Gene, there's I think there's a lot to kind of dissect about this team. I, I do want to talk some stuff a little bit about um, reaction to Rick Barnes and stuff from fans, but. I'm curious your thoughts on this. You know basketball more than I do, but I, I think Tennessee really needs to go get some, I, I, whether it's a bench player, I, like a six-man who's a good shooter or what, they need to go get some good shooters and, to me, someone who's going to be aggressive and go after the rim. 
Right. So I, I don't think people realize just the challenge that lies ahead with this Tennessee roster because I don't think people realize how bad this Tennessee roster is. I mean, let's let's be clear. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that I am not. I'm a person who will poo-poo recruiting rankings because I think they only tell about 10% of the story. So if you look at the players on that roster, Eve Pons was a mid-three-slash-four type guy, but if you watch him play basketball, you can tell he's the type of guy who was basically recruited because he's just such a, a ridiculous athlete. Um, then you look at John Fulkerson, who's a nice player, and yeah, I had people always. I've always had people yelling at me. I can't believe. What do you mean you can't build around John Fulkerson? Look at what he did last year. I said, well, look at that team last year. Somebody has to score points. Um, he just became. He was just obviously the best option. And then you look at Springer and Johnson. They're both five-star guys. I get it. They're you know pretty talented athletes. Um, you know Johnson. Not a good shooter, but he's six five and he can jump out of gyms like almost quite literally. It feels like great athlete. You know, parts of his game, mainly his shot, underdeveloped. Uh, Springer, kind of a little bit of the same thing, but he's not quite as much of a an athlete. But I don't think you can really get to the term, the definition of athlete with Johnson. Springer's not going to be the caliber of athlete that uh, Johnson is, and that's no disrespect to Springer. So I, I say all that to say. They didn't have a lot of good basketball players on that team. Uh, you know, Vescovi, spot shooter. You know, Bailey, spot shooter. Josiah James is a well-rounded player who I think will be I, – I actually was thinking the other day, I said, who would be a really good comp for Josiah James? And the name that I came up with, I've said Jalen Brunson in the past, but I've got the perfect player comparison for Josiah James. It's Draymond Green. So if you watch, if you watch how he affects the game, he does so many things well, but also you can't build an offense around him. And so, but he's the type of guy who will be the junkyard dog guy who will have consistently have the ten points. You know, he may have a ten rebound game. I think he had what like twelve or thirteen rebounds. I think in that in that first run game against Oregon State. I don't remember the numbers, but I'm pretty sure he was in double figures, and I know every single time I looked up when I was watching, I felt like he was grabbing a rebound. Um, but in terms of, like, this Tennessee roster, there's not an awful lot that you can do with that because, still, it doesn't it doesn't solve the problem, and the biggest problem is, going back to the star stuff, Grant Williams may have been two or three whatever star. I don't know. I don't really care. He may, he may have been a two or three star, but he was. But that was only because he was an undersized player who was extremely gifted offensively. Admiral Schofield is obviously an extremely talented player. He's an undersized guy who was just really really big, and people didn't think that he didn't he didn't fit the measurables, you know, of being a quote unquote five star player. So, and maybe that goes to Donnie Tindall and the way that he recruited, because I know that was one of the Admiral's guys. I mean, you know, Admiral's one of Donnie T's guys. So, you know, Lamonte Turner was some of that, too. You know, you had guys who were just natural-born scores, But the guys that are being brought into Tennessee right now on this, you know, that were on this current roster this year, and it's my fault for not really, because, again, I lashed out a lot at Tennessee this year because I thought they should be better. 
Um, but I was I didn't think things clearly, and they don't really have a lot of guys that scare you offensively. And once you watch the season play out, people realize that. Um, if you go back, you know, playing through a big is not necessarily a good idea. The last time, I'm pretty sure the last time that a national championship winner, um, you know, played through a big, like played through him, was I think Sean May or maybe Tyler Hansborough, one of those type guys. Yeah, I was going to say Anthony Hansborough. Da- yeah. yeah, I understand Anthony Davis, uh, you know, was, but they didn't really play through him. Like, that was just an extremely talented team, and he was just a, an absolute freak defensively. So, like, you don't see teams that go deep, you know, play through bigs. I mean, ask Illinois about that. As we're recording this, they just got beat. <laughs> they don't necessarily play through him, but – he was one of their one or two best players. Obviously, the point guard who just had an outstanding year, he was up there as well. Uh, we'll see what happens with Michigan. We'll see what happens with Iowa. But you don't really play through them. So for me, like I, I just I would just want to get if you don't bring Fulkerson back, and it sounds as though I mean you kind of you kind of see things that lead me you know lead you to believe that he's not going to come back next year. And that's fine. The kid spent five years. He's a Tennessee legend. People love him. He's from the state. I get all that stuff. They're going to have to go get a guy whose whole job is to just basically run up, you know, run from rim to rim, be athletic enough to block shots, affect shots, basically what Eve Pons was, except he's 6'10 or 6'9 or 6'11, whatever the case may be. He just needs to be a defensive stopper. Then you have to go find yourself a wing. I don't know who that wing is. I was in Murfreesboro this week for the for the Tennessee High School State Tournament. There's a kid who graduates in 2022 that if they can get him, his name is Brandon Miller. He's exactly what I'm <laughs> what I'm suggesting they get. But you just need athletes. You need guys who, regardless of your offensive system, they can go create a shot. And when t- Tennessee had two guys that could do that, they were both freshmen. They're going to make mistakes. You've got to get a couple guys who at least scare the defense because guess what happens? Sometimes your offense breaks down. You know, you could throw the ball to Grant Williams in the past. You could throw the ball to Admiral. Jordan Bone could go make a play. Same thing with Lamonte Turner. They could go make plays. Even Bowden could kind of make plays sometimes. They had guys that could go out and do stuff, and now they have two of them, and they're both true freshmen who, when push came to shove against Alabama, turned the ball over left and right. They made the sorts of mistakes that you expect freshmen to make. But they can't be your only options whenever things start to break down. They can't be because they're not going, especially in tournament settings, they're just not going to, you know, they're not going to have, they don't have the experience to kind of settle down, settle up, and kind of get after it. So to me, for the past two years, that roster has been in shambles. And I don't know how that thing gets flipped, but it's going to be tough. I would say there's probably a 1% chance, based off some stuff I've heard, Olivier Conwell comes back. I would say there's about a 5% chance, based off some stuff I heard, that Kim English comes back. So now you're talking about a coach. Now you're talking about a player. I always thought that Conwell was the type of guy that you could kind of, he could be sort of the rim-running type guy that you want. He had never played post before in his life. People are mad that he's not Grant Williams. The kid's never played post in his life. Ever people see his height? Well, he's six eight. He's never played post in his life. He played the type of ball. Look at his YouTube videos. He played the type of ball that I'm suggesting that they go find. He's just not athletic enough to go 
you know, get the ball and just take people to the basket. He's just not that guy. But he could be, he's a serviceable piece. But, you know, when you go up and down and the kid, you could just see he's just leaking confidence um, as the season went along. Like, they have such a roster construct ahead of them. And I don't know how it gets better in one year. Like, I don't. I mean, I know the transfer portal is filled with players. Maybe you go find some mid, you know, maybe you find some mid, you know, D1 level players. Um, maybe you find a couple high level players. But for them to be competitive next year, this roster can't look anything like it currently does. Not a single thing. If you told me every single player was expendable on that roster, I would give you a thumbs up because from what I saw, there's not a single player. I mean, I, Johnson and Springer, but I don't think they're going to come back. Aside from that, it, what do you want? Do you want to feel good because, you know, Eve Pons and John Fulkerson gave you some feel good a couple years ago when they were like the sixth and seventh options on your team? Like, do you want that or do you want to win? And I think that's the question that has to be asked. And I don't, I don't know personally, I don't know what the answer is to that question, but from my opinion, in my opinion, for that team to be competitive next year, the roster that they have right now cannot look anything like the roster they have next season. Yeah, I want to yeah. build off that, but really quickly, you talk about, was it Brandon Miller? Is that the kid that plays over at Cane Ridge in Antioch that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's. <laughs> I think Tennessee would do well to go after him. He's a, a five-star, about a six-seven forward who's got offers from Alabama, Florida, Auburn, Vandy, so he's recruited by SEC schools and um, and Louisville actually, I think, is offered him too. So yeah, he's he's a kid that, and Wake Forest. So you know, Steve Forbes is, if Steve Forbes likes him, I, I'm willing to bet he's a pretty good player, or you know, could be a really good player. So yeah, I think Brandon Miller. I'll say up. this much. Yeah. If you know they beat Collierville in the semifinals, who beat Cleveland, where my son plays, in the first round of state. My son is the biggest kid on Cleveland, and he's six four, one seventy. And there was a chance that he would have been one of the people tasked to guard him. I didn't want that for my son. I think he's going to be a good player. He's not quite – he's obviously not that level. Uh, I mean, he ain't, you know, top 15 player in the country. I didn't want that for, for him. I thought he deserved better. I thought they all deserved better. But I saw that kid play. He's special. He had some Vincent Yarbrough-type vibes to me, or maybe even to go even better, Tracy McGrady. Tall, lanky, does a lot of things. I saw some a few minutes of their semifinal game against Carterville. He had three fouls in the first half, and Carterville's up, I think, twenty-eight to nine on him. Second half, he gets, you know, he's, you know, he plays free. They come back from down nineteen at halftime to beat, you know, to beat Carterville, and I think his numbers were like twenty-two, nine and six. I think he had like eight turnovers too, but he's also, I mean, he's a ball dominant kid. But I mean, that's the type of kids. Those are the type of players. I don't know where they are. They don't have to be six-nine like that. But Tennessee needs to go get. Just some, they need to get about two or three guys that, regardless, they can play within the system. But sometimes you have to break free. That's why I always fought, I always defended Lamonte Turner because last year he was the only guy that could go create his own shot after everybody else had left. And so for them to be anything, because they're going to be middle of the pack. Because guess what, Bama's not going anywhere. Florida's going to probably be around the same. Missouri, they may lose a lot depending on who comes back. Like, if, if you want to be top level of that league, you can't just sit here and say, we got Brandon Huntley Hatfield, Congratula- congratulations, we're top five. Because guess what he's not doing? He ain't really making you better. He's got, he's got some Julius Randle-type vibes to me, talented player, can do a lot of things well. 
Um, but he's not what you really just want. If you want, he's yeah. He obviously he's the stars. He gets the star ranking that everybody loves and everybody gets enamored with. But he's not doing an awful lot, especially when you're talking about Kennedy Chandler and Brandon Huntley Hatfield and the kid, the Mayshock, whatever the kid's name is from California. Uh, that's not going to be enough because these other teams around the country, you know, I, I keep an eye on Kentucky schools like that. You know, then that, that uh, talk about teams that probably won't bring anybody back. <laughs> Kentucky will be on that list too. And yeah, that's talk about flipping rosters. He's pretty adept at it. And, and so, like you said, if you want to, if you want to compete, this roster better not look anything like it. You cannot, I would look Vescovi, Sure, he gave some people some feel good in that LSU game a couple years ago. Um, I mean, Bailey's more missed than hit. Some you know shooting and playing sometimes. Um, you know, I think he, I think he was like a minus twenty two against Bama, and then we lost the game by like six or seven or whatever. Um, like that. That's the stuff. Like you got to have some guys man and I again I can't define what that is but that this roster this next year cannot look anything like the one and it's crazy because everybody in theory could come back and this roster could look exactly alike and I think that would be a nightmare scenario because I think it'll be good I think you'll win some games um but I don't think you'd be the type of good where you win games like if you really broke down that break down that Tennessee schedule this year they were not good like they started off great and I understand they beat Colorado and they they beat a Cincinnati team that if people have been watching <laughs> there is a lot of things going on at Cincinnati where you know they've already had like six or seven or eight kids enter the transfer portal mm-hmm. since that and that so that that didn't just start that had happened a while back and you're hanging your hat on a game like that again an average team just because they went to the uh what are they in that? The American Championship game. You know, you get past that. Like, beating Kentucky, congrats. Look at what that Kentucky team turned into. Uh, you lost twice to Bama. You beat Kansas. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, like, if you really look at that schedule, and if you look at what that team looked like, they didn't, I mean, they did everything defensively that you're supposed to do to, uh, against Oregon State. They only gave up 70 points problem is you can't score you know they gave up what they score 55 56 but yeah still 56. under 60 yeah yeah that, that's just not and you the way i always frame it is you can what the reason why i made the comment about you recruit offense you coach defenses there are going to be days like sometimes you're going to have breakdowns that lead to easy baskets or you're going to have a kid like that big Oregon State center that scores and everybody gets mad because we don't have anybody that can stop him. Well, guess what? If you have guys, you can really kind of negate what he's doing. But when you're not – if if Tennessee was scoring, nobody would really care that the big kid from Oregon State was handling E. Pons and Euros Plovsic down low. Um, I, I think that I've, I've always felt like the – nowadays the down – you know, we need bigs down low narrative is kind of overplayed. Uh, you need them. But all this whole banging inside and stuff, eh, get a guy. Make make sure he's agile. Make sure he can just affect some stuff down there. Fulkerson kind of fit that bill. 
Um, he could have affected some stuff. I really thought he would have been really big against Alabama because he could switch up like they wanted to. Mm-hmm. But, like, really? Like, if you can just score, if you can have some guys say, hey, man, there's eight on the shot clock, go get a shot. They don't have that. They didn't have that. And, again, like, two, their two freshmen just – they could be that at times, but they just weren't quite ready. Like, we need you now. And that's an overwhelming thought for two 18, you know, whatever, 18, 19-year-old kids. We need you to go get us a shot. You want your juniors and seniors to be that guy. And their juniors and seniors were role players. And they weren't, they weren't up to that task. You know, I, John Fulkerson, I'm not Fulkerson, Eve Pons in his career at Tennessee, you know how many free throws he shot? Less than he should have. <laughs> I don't know how many he shot, but less than he should have. He shot 124 free throws in four years. Wow. Let that sink in. 124 free throws in four years. And at that size. Right. At that size. Like, you know, he faded away a lot. He did a bunch of that stuff. I could guarantee you that there are kids on that team. Um, John Fulkerson shot 151 last season. Right. That's, like, that's the type of guy. And, like, look, amazing athlete. He obviously looks the part. He's a beautiful man. I get all that stuff. But it doesn't change the fact. Sometimes when people show you who they are at the beginning, you should believe them. So for three years, people wonder, or two years, people were like, is Pons a basketball player? Then he had some nice games last year. He was pretty good last year. So people had convinced themselves that this is some other, you know, Rick Barnes reclamation project and that he's so much better. He wasn't better. He just had more opportunities. It didn't make him better. It just looked like he was better. He's still the same guy. He didn't shoot. It's not like he shot a ton of free throws last year. And also, a quick side note, sometimes when people say that you're a big, you're a big developer of talent, it really just means that in this day and age, it probably just means that you get guys who aren't capable of leaving for the for the NBA. It's not necessarily because do Springer and Johnson look a whole heck of a lot better than they did at the beginning of the year? That mean you know that's the definition of developer of talent. Because those kids didn't really look that much better now uh, last week than they did back in November and December when they were playing. They were just getting more opportunities. It's not like you know. Springer looked like a you know demonstrably better shooter. It's okay. He had a couple good shots, good moments. I mean, Springer again, and they're both really good players. But the whole developer of talent, you got to have guys that keep coming back. That's how you develop them. They keep coming back. Grant Williams came back, so therefore it looked like he just you know like looked like Rick Barnes made him. I'm like no, he was just an elite offensive player who was too small in high school to be recruited by all the big schools, and. So, uh, again, like, the, you see these things, and it's just like, I hate it because, you know, having been around that program for a couple of years, seeing seeing the 31-win team and then seeing, you know, last season, uh, you know, up close and personal, you just wonder, um, yeah, you, know, you, you just wonder, like, it, it – how good is this? Or are we just like fall? Are people just falling in love with this team because what they attribute rankings to best team in the country? And 
I always push back against the notion that those guys that they had recruited before were just horrible basketball players. No, they just weren't. They were just not. They just didn't fit the measurables. But mm-hmm. they were good basketball players. And now Tennessee's getting highly rec- recruited basketball players, highly recruited athletes that are still trying to figure some things out. And so that's why next year it's going to be interesting because I don't know how that changes. Maybe Chandler is the point guard everybody wants, and he comes in and changes the fortunes of everything around him. And maybe he's just a freshman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you know, maybe you know, maybe he has Sharif Cooper moments. But that also means that you didn't recruit well because that means you have nobody else around him. So you don't really want him to have Sharif Cooper moments. You want him to just have a nice freshman year or maybe he averages around 11, 12 points and that'd be five assists, maybe five or six assists a game. Because that means you've surrounded him with the type of players where he can truly blossom and become the player that you think he is. Yeah, and I, I agree with a lot of what you said, and I'll, I'll get to some of that in a second, but I do want to push back just a little bit on what you said about Keon and Springer, where I do think they did show improvement down the stretch. Again, mm-hmm. I don't think it was you know a massive amount compared to where they were at the beginning of the year, but I do think they played better over the last month. But again, to your point, I think to your point there, they also got more opportunity. They, they were starting, they were playing more minutes you know, in February and March, and they were in you know November and December so I think it's a little bit of both but I, I, I do think they played better but also I, with you like you said the, you could see a lot of these guys come back but I, I'm under the impression just as you are that this roster is going to get a I guess faceless would be the best way to describe it because I think you're going to see both Keon and, and Jaden go to the NBA which I think they should especially Keon who's getting projected as a, a lottery pick I think he would be as much as I'd love to see him come back and, and wear the orange and white for another season, I think he should go get that money and, and go to the NBA if he can. Uh, I think Springer will probably go because I think he's got a high ceiling as a scorer, um, and I think he has a lot of good skills that can be a you know late first round, early second round pick, and you know that'll get you some money. I think Pons is going to go. I don't see him coming back. Fulkerson, um, I'm I'm still you know you mentioned it too that you, you hear yes and no both about him. I'm kind of still on the fence about him. I think with the way his season ended with that injury and him not being able to go out and, and play his last few games, I, it makes me think maybe he will return. But that senior night, he seemed it seemed like that was his last game in Thompson Bowling to me, the way he was acting and as emotional as he was and everything. So and maybe he doesn't come back either. I think Victor Bailey comes back. I think Scobie comes back. I think Triple J comes back. But to your point, this this bench, you, know, you had those seven guys who all started at some point, who all played consistent minutes and – you know, those are your, your main seven guys. But everyone else off the bench, whether it's Olivier Kamwa, Urosh, EJ Anasicki, Devontae Gaines, Drew Pember, I mean, any number of those guys I think are gone this offseason, whether it is Olivier or I think maybe Anasicki. I, I think Anasicki would maybe come back, but his offense to me was just – I love his motor. I love his effort. I love his rebounding. But, man, he missed more shots at the rim than I think I've ever seen a post player in the last – 10, 15 years miss. It, it was just painful to watch. Again, Devontae Gaines, I love his energy. I love his passion. Not a good shooter, though. He, he just isn't. He, he's not a good three-point shooter at all. Um, he's not a great just shooter overall. I, I like his length. I like what he brings to that, that bulldog mentality. But you got to score buckets. You can't just be... If, you, if he's a guy you bring off the bench to be a good defensive player and rolls, that's great. But with the way this roster is going to change, that's not going to be the role. You need him to be a more significant contributor on offense next year. I just don't think he's got it. Drew Pember hasn't been able to find the floor. To me, he's still not bulked up enough. Um, I just don't think he's going to be 
what you would like and need him to be. So to, to that point, I mean, I think you have Victor Bailey come back. I think you have Escovi and Josiah Jordan-James, and those are the only three I feel like fairly certain about coming back next season. Any of the other bench guys I could see going, I, I think Plaschuk likes it here a lot, and I think the, the team likes, or the coaching staff likes him. He is a very good teammate. He just isn't going to play a whole lot, I don't think, and I don't know how high his ceiling actually is. So maybe those you know, four, maybe another a fifth guy you throw in there, you feel like you, you know, feel like they're going to come back. I, I said this during the Missouri game, and I've, I've thought this for a lot of the season, and I haven't said it until the Missouri uh, game in the NCAA tournament. Tennessee needs a guy like a Drew Smith, in my opinion, Gene, because as much attention as a, a Xavier Pinson and Jeremiah Tillman got this year for for Missouri, those, you know, those two guys got talked about a ton. To me, Drew Smith, um, I think he was the, the guy that kind of was the engine that made that team go a lot of times. He ended up being the leading scorer, which I, I was surprised because I thought Pinson you know, would have been the leading scorer. But Drew Smith, watching him in that, that tournament game, he, Missouri would had no reason being – you know, within striking distance late. But Drew Smith did a couple of – he did a fadeaway three-pointer with a guy in his face. He did a step-back three that looked just nasty. He, he was a guy who kept him in that game. And I, I think a guy like Drew Smith who shoots a high percentage from three, he's like a – he almost made 40% of his threes in the season for Missouri. His career was a, a 37% three-point shooter um, at Evansville and Missouri combined. He averaged 14 points this year. He averaged 11 points overall. He averaged two steals a game. He averaged uh, about four assists, four rebounds. He's a guy who I, I loved his game overall, and I think Tennessee could use someone like him. And you've already seen Tennessee's name being connected with a lot of these transfer options. Like uh, Tennessee apparently is in, in contact with Justin Powell, who's transferred from Auburn. I like him a lot. I do wonder, you know, he didn't play most of the season. He only played 10 games. He got hurt. Um, and when he was in SEC play, he didn't really – he didn't wow me in SEC play like he did in, in non-conference play, and Auburn's non-conference slate wasn't the strongest. But he's still a guy who averaged about 12 points, six rebounds, five assists, and was shooting 44% from three. That was going to come down as the season went on, but still, you know, showing that he's a good shooter. Those guys like that. He's also a six-six guard who, that's that's a really good athletic, and he, he's a guy who uh, also shot 41% from two, which is not amazing. But he's a guy who I'd like to see Tennessee, you know, someone like him I'd like to see Tennessee go after. And I just think they're, they're like you said, Gene, they're, I think they're going to have to change this roster a lot this offseason. And I don't know what that means for next year's team because I, I do think Kennedy Chandler is a, is a good prospect, is a good player. But I know from Brandon Martin, who helped me out with the SEC Basketball Fever podcast and is on VR2 with Sports Illustrated. We'll probably be on here for a few episodes, too. He got to go see Kennedy play recently in person. He told me he loves Kennedy's athleticism and his ceiling, but he's a guy who struggles to finish at the rim. And that's Tennessee's thing for the last couple seasons is having guys struggle to finish at the rim. Um, I, lo I love Jemai Meshack, but he's another kind of defensive first type of guy who I think can improve his offensive game, but... Um, I think he's still, you know, he's not a guy you want to have to count on offensively when he first gets here. So to me, Gene, you're going to have to go after a lot of grad transfers, a lot of just other guys in the transfer portal. And we know from seeing, really, th there are two different ways of looking at this, in my opinion. And Tennessee will likely, if they do this, will probably fall somewhere in the middle. But you had a team like Kentucky who brought in a bunch of different new players, whether they're freshmen or they had, I think, you know, two or three transfers. And we saw how their season went. 
On the flip side, you saw a team like Arkansas, who also had a, a lot of new from last season and brought in a lot of transfers. And it took them a little bit to really get going in SEC play, but once they did, I mean, they were on fire and about made it to the uh, tournament championship, and they won their first game in the NCAA tournament as well, and they're on the round of 32. I don't think Tennessee will be would be as bad as Kentucky was this past season. I don't think they would be as good as Arkansas ended up being. But, Gene, you're, you're looking at a type of rebuild or a type of restructuring of a roster on either of those levels where you're, you're looking at, you know, five of your seven contributors from last year or maybe, you know, four or five of your top seven contributors from last year moving on this offseason in, in some capacity going to the NBA or just electing to not come back. Um, I think this team's going to look very different. And to your point, I, I think if they don't, that's going to really worry you. But I also think if it does, it's going to worry you because you don't know what to expect from them. I mean, it's a good thing. It, it, to me, you just you have to go get offense. You have to. You have, to, you have guys on your team already who are good defenders. You need a quick guard at point guard. You need Viscovia to be a guy who can handle the ball, but maybe isn't your primary ball handler. You need a guy who, like you mentioned, the, the kid out of, he's obviously the tennis wouldn't be able to bring him in unless you were classified, but the kid out of uh, at, you know Miller over at Antioch, you need a guy like him who is athletic, as you said, reminds you of T-Mac back in the day, um, or Vincent Yarbrough. So that'd be an ideal fit for Tennessee right now. I just I, I wonder if Tennessee is going to be able to go get that because they have in the last couple of seasons, and I, I don't know. I, this team just needs really a whole restructure, a whole re, a re, just facelift from what they have right now, to your point. I, I, you know, you've already talked extensively about that, but I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add before we move on to the last topic here. No, I, I just think that they've got such a long way to go, and with like if you just if you tried to like place a lineup for a starting lineup for next year, you know, just suggesting that the people that you would think are gone are, are gone, then you're probably talking about Chandler at the point, or Chandler, Viscovi. I'm not even doing positions. Chandler, Viscovi, James. Probably Bailey would start, depending on who all yeah. you brought in as transfers and stuff. Yeah, like, I mean, that, right there's like four guards and a and a guy in Josiah who's a forward guard. Who's, he's kind of a mix, but he he plays more guard than he does forward. At the, at, yeah, at the so, five, I guess. I mean, depends on Fulgerson comes back or Plashik, or I mean, that's what I'm <laughs> I don't like, know where you go so, that one. And, and that's where it gets. I don't know if disappointing is the word, but that's where it, it's just kind of. It is. I guess maybe disappointing would be a way of saying it. Like it, it's like you're looking at a roster there where it's like, man, are we really going to roll out plastic at the center? And again, like I think he's a nice player. I think he's a person that who needs to stay. To be honest with you, yeah. Um, I think he's a person you want in that program because you want you want his minutes. You just don't want him to. Like, but you like I liked what he did against uh, what was it, Bama. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He, he played like, I, I, I think like, a season high seventeen minutes in that game. Yeah, I like I like what he did in that game. I mean, he did a few nice things. He you know cleared out some space. I think he's a talent. I think he's a pretty talented offensive player. I do. I, I truly think that he's a pretty talented offensive player. Like I think his ability to stay on the court will be what he does defensively. And I don't think that you can expect twenty five to thirty minutes out of. Him. I think if you get him a ten minute burst on a game in game out basis, and he just cracks your rotation, then that makes your team better because that also means you've brought in somebody that's better than him and you don't have to rely 
on him. And, and so, um, but like I said, if you just look at the, that roster on its face, I mean, you've seen, you've basically seen what that roster looks like. Um, you've seen what that season looks like, basically. And you can look, man, we can, we don't, we try not to, but you can look at potentially the off season with COVID and stuff, maybe playing a factor in development of some of these kids. I get that. It's just relative to what everybody is, what every team in the country is. I just don't have any reason to really be excited about what that team could be this year. I mean, this coming year, 21, 22 season, um, the, you know, putting all my energy and effort, you know, putting all my energy in a true freshman point guard who doesn't have a buffer because your secondary guard option is Vescovi, who I think is best off just catching th- catching the ball and shooting threes. The less he dribbles, the better. Because he's not a creator. He's just, to me, he's a catch-and-shoot guy. Josiah James could be he has the body type, but he's built more like a LeBron James where he just wants to do the right thing all the time. Um, like you just don't have a ton of confidence in what that could be. Like they, they, I mean, maybe they're Ole Miss next year, or maybe they're, I can't say Missouri, they were a top four seed or something like that. Maybe they're well, like a Mississippi no, they, State. They were on track to be that way, and I think they finished. Um, they they finished. I, I compared Tennessee and Missouri. Yeah, they fell the towards the end. Yeah, yeah they, they, they were both, all. They both had str- yeah. bad finishes. We talked about yeah. that under under SEC basketball fever, where they were all kind of jumbled in there a ton. Where you just yeah, you could have the same record as the four seed, but you're the eight seed. I'm not saying that was the case, but like they were, there were a bunch of teams jumbled in there. Um, but yeah, maybe you could be one of those middle of the road teams that wins a few games in front of 20,000 people. Maybe you get geared up to beat Kentucky like you typically do once a year every season and uh, get everybody excited and maybe provide some you know, some optimism. But I, I just don't think that that's a team. If you want to trend in that direction, if you want to trend in the direction of being a basketball program, you're going to have to do better. People don't like LSU. LSU's got a lot of talent, and they've got guys that keep coming back. Um, Javante Smart is a junior. He's a five star, but he's a junior. So now he's not only a talented kid, but he's an experienced, talented kid. You know, like Tennessee combats that with Josiah James. That's their kid who's got the star ranking, um, who's going to be a junior next year. But you know, you, you this year's team stacked the Trenton Trenton Watford out there. They stacked the, uh, who was a sophomore. They stacked the Cam Thomas who was a freshman. You're bringing they're bringing in talented players. To pair up with other talented players and they keep coming back and that's how you end up being a good team that's how you end up being a team that nobody really wants to face I mean, they could get beat next game against michigan but that's a game mike is that today uh, i want to say although i'll look it up really quick i think i want to say yeah. it's today though that's a game to watch basically because that's the time that that will speak a lot towards my you don't really want to go with just a big, somewhat slow, big post player. It's it's Monday night. Athletic by the way. teams. What's that? Monday night. It's Monday okay, night, so, by the way. Yeah. So I mean, like, but Tennessee's not going to do that. They do have. They'll have a kid who'll be a junior next year, or technically he's a sophomore because they get the year back. They'll have a kid who'll be in his third year in the program next year who's a five star kid. 
Um, that's actually about it. I mean, I don't again. I don't believe Calm was coming back. He's technically a four star. Um, you know, but like you build talent, you you stack ton of players, ton of class on top of ton of class, and then you're good. You don't do the. We had one good class, so why don't people take us more serious? Because you can't just keep doing one class on top of one class, and your results are getting worse. Just in theory, that's what they've done. They went from round of 32 to Sweet 16 to probably out of the tournament if they, if, if most likely unless they win the SEC last year to a first round exit. Like if you're truly the basketball program that you say you want to be, you've got to stack in the NCAA tournament. That just has to be just the expectation. And then you get in there because it, it's all a crapshoot when you get in there, especially this year where it's all one site and all this stuff's going on. Kids are unhappy. You know, because they're basically just being used as puppets. Hey, go entertain the people and then go back to your room and don't do anything else. Um, it, it's all a crapshoot. So you just build the best possible team you can. Uh, but that team has to be offensively minded. And that's where Tennessee's going to have to get a lot better. But as we've talked yeah. about that, let's move on, man. Let's get after <laughs> it. A little fun fact here. Uh, Jamal Mashburn Jr. is in the transfer portal. Gene, that, that feels makes me feel like I've never felt older. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never, never watched Jamal Mashburn play in the NBA, and that's uh, Mashburn Jr. played in Minnesota, and he averaged eight points a game this past season for them in 22 minutes. So I just saw that name, I was like, man, I didn't realize Jamal's kid was even in college. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So <laughs> uh, I think we'll probably wrap it up here just really quickly. I think it it might suit us better. We've already gone about 40 plus minutes at this point in this podcast. I think it'll, it'll suit us better to cover this in a, a future episode, Gene, whether we do one later this week or, or something, but I, I, I think we won't have time here to really get into it, talking about Rick Barnes and then the reaction to him and kind of our thoughts on him and fans' thoughts on him, because there's definitely been a lot of negative reaction to Rick Barnes now with, you know, his Sweet 16 run last two seasons ago was his first only time he's made it out of the, the second round of, in, like, in the last, what, eight years or something like that, and, and fans are starting to... I, I think we're seeing some fans starting to turn on him a little bit more, and I, I think it's... A, I, I totally understand it, and I understand the frustration, and, and you're not wrong about it because it is frustrating to see this team, you know, start the season 10-1, and one. and like you said, even though those wins weren't against, you know, teams that you thought they were going to be against and high-quality opponents that you may have thought at the time, still, 10-1 and, and and starting SEC play, you know, not badly, and then falling to 18-9 and, and and losing in the first round, and, and not just losing, but losing by 14 points and it not really being close in the second half, I totally get fans being frustrated and, and upset, and I, I think they're right and to be up that way. But I also think there's been a, a, some overreaction, because I've, I've seen some guys call him a washed-up coach on Twitter, which I think is funny to me. Uh, that, that's kind of the reaction where a year and a half ago people were, were singing his praises and stuff, but I've seen a lot of people talk about ever since he signed that $5 million dollar contract that he hasn't lived up to expectations but I think Gene again I think it's a worthy conversation and I think it's one I don't want to cut short and it's one I want us to have in a you know a future podcast because we if we do that here now we'll end up going way over the hour mark and um, this is the first episode of new format and I, I hope it's been a, a good one but I don't want to bore people to death with a super long episode either so I think we'll save that for maybe next week this upcoming week if we do a second episode but I do want to say also congratulations to the Lady Vols on beating MTSU to switch to some positive news for Tennessee basketball, um, 87-62. It was tied at 39 at halftime, and the Lady Vols came out and dominated the third quarter and then put it away in the fourth. 
Um, they'll be going to the round of 32. And I want to say that, let's see, they were, they're playing the winner of the women's, the Michigan versus Florida Gulf Coast. And I think Michigan, yeah, they ended up hanging on it, beating Florida Gulf, Gulf Coast. So Tennessee Lady Vols will take on Michigan in the round of 32. So congrats to Kelly Harper on getting to her first NCAA tournament with the Lady Vols and winning her first game with them. Again, we'll, we'll continue to cover both men's and women's um, in, in the future. We'll try to have a, a episode specifically about, you know, an episode a week or so specifically about just the Lady Vols. So keep a lookout for that. I said this in the little teaser episode but if you guys know of anyone if i you know if you like lady vols or if you know someone who likes lady vols and is you know experienced in podcasting or wants to get into podcasting and is passionate about the lady vols let me know i'd love to have him on as a, as a guest host or maybe even a permanent co-host moving forward we'll see because i know gene obviously you i think you covered lady vols for a bit too while you're in yeah Tennessee, and, you? and i will i will say this i mean i i, I remember talking last year to ray burrell Mm-hmm. And it was obviously her sophomore year in the program, you know, and so I, I just asked her, so how much basketball had you been taught before this season? And she said, never. And so when I, the, the comment I mentioned earlier about, you know, you have to stack five-star class on top of five-star classes. First of all, women's, you know, women's basketball rankings is is not good. Um, there, yeah. there, there's not nearly the same amount of people putting effort into it. So um, they get looked at by one guy from ESPN, and they get a five-star ranking or whatever. And I think there's also Prospects Nation. I think that does a pretty decent job. But, you know, Tennessee was getting the top players in the country, and they were not developing them. So I think what you're seeing now is the beginning of kids learning the game of basketball. And so what you're seeing from Ray Burrell this season, because, look, Renata Davis has been a talented player. She's been that. Um, not always, not always good, uh, but always a talented player. Um, Ray Burrell was a talented player. She was a little just out there. You just kind of threw her out there. She just ran around and dove and threw elbows everywhere and didn't really know what she was doing. And now it looks as though that team is starting to figure things out. Like the you know almost beating UConn, beating South Carolina earlier in the season. Like those are the makings of building a program like I think it is year two and it is a rebuild and when I say rebuild I don't mean from just a talent perspective um you know I don't mean they have to flip the whole roster but these kids are learning something new in terms of their culture and their development and a lot of stuff that wasn't taught under the previous regime um because it was that the the philosophy was different the philosophy was go out there, you know, Holly Warlick's philosophy was go out there and be tougher than the other team. Just go be tougher. Go be tougher. Just be tough, be tough, be tough. But they didn't really know what they were doing. So that's why they always got beat by good teams. And people would always say, well, they're just talented. They're more talented. I can't believe it. But that was just her mentality. Be tough, be tough, be tough. Now, Kelly, she's being tough, but she's also teaching them aspects of the game. So I don't know what happens with their NCAA tournament. You know, obviously they got the big win today. Uh, looks like you know Davis had 24 and 14, Burrell had 22 and 7. Then you can kind of lean on players like Key, you know Tamari Key. She's like six six, man. Like she and she's a talented player. Kishikidawa had a good game. Like you're seeing players, Jordan Horston. She's always going to be out of control, but she's a talented player. And if you can just manage some of her turnover issues, 
you've got a good player. So you've got a good team that is being built. They've got a top-level recruiting class coming in next year. So, you know, I do think that that's the sort of that's the sort of team that in a year or two you're looking and you're saying they may not be what they were under Pat Summit. Because I, and I also don't think it's fair to demand that. Um, but I think that they're the type of team who will be able to compete for a national championship in a couple of years because because Kelly Harper is a good coach. She she has a staff that's pretty good at developing players. You know, and the good thing is coaching staffs on the women's side typically don't slip over all that often. So you have a chance with Lacey Goldwire and uh, Jennifer Sullivan and, and John Harper and obviously Kelly Harper to really build something special there. And you're 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 recruiting the Tennessee, so that kind of takes care of itself. So um, that's basically, you know, that's that's how I feel about the Lady Vault side. Uh, really happy for their success because I know last year people were frustrated because, like, new coach, why aren't we winning 30 games? I don't understand it. Why are we still getting, like, eh, it's the first year. Well, all that talent you know, it looks, still looks the same to me. Now we're starting to look a little different. You take out that Georgia game that they blew the big lead uh, in back in January, and they've actually had a really good season. So um, I'll be interested to see what that looks like next year. Because on the other side, women, you know, you know gr- women will graduate from college and they'll just move on. So even if they have this extra year, they'll just move on. So we'll see what happens with those seniors, uh, like a Jaden McCoy, a Kush Kittawa, I can't remember exactly. Renata Davis is a senior, but she'll have some pro opportunities. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and so you've got some players there who they won't look the same. And they've got, they've got some players coming in that are nice players. And a girl from Nashville, I think, is pretty good. Got a, I think got a post player from Alabama that does some nice things. Like, they've got some players coming in that actually have a chance to be pretty good. And they're going to be young. You have to lean on some of these other players. Um, but those younger, those other players are getting experience this year. Jordan Horse is going to be a leader next year. Um I can't remember who else there is. Uh, they brought the transfer in, the graduate transfer in that was okay at times. They got the Suarez girl who will be pretty pretty solid. They've got some pieces to where you don't have to lean on the freshman because having to lean on freshmen usually does not work out well. Ask the men. Yeah, right. Yeah, and two of those girls you're talking about, Sarah Puckett and Caroline Stripling, those are both. In, and I like Kaya Wynn as a prospect too. So those are. Yeah, she's the natural girl. Yeah, and then you have uh, Brooklyn Miles out of uh, Kentucky as well. So, yeah, they, they've got a really good group coming in again. And you have good young players on this team that didn't really play a whole lot. I, mean, I saw you know Tess Darby get out there late in the game, and I was like, I haven't seen her play much this season. And I think she's a you know, got a pretty high ceiling. I think Destiny's salary has a pretty high ceiling as well, and she didn't play a whole lot. So you've got, you know, I, I think this team needed to build up depth. I think next year, like you said, I'll be curious to see what their team looks like next year and how far they can kind of go. Um, in this tournament, but that'll be where we end this episode of the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. Again, thank you all so much for sticking with us here in the format change for the first edition of the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. Again, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we should have all the RSS feeds uh, fixed here now. I know Spotify is fixed. We have a whole new Google podcast one, so if you subscribe to us there or listen to us there, I will send out a link Um, for the new URL for that. And hopefully by the time this podcast is out, the Apple Podcasts RSS feed will be fixed and we should be there. So if you were already subscribed to us for the SEC Basketball Fever podcast, you should already also be subscribed for the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. 
And as I said at the top of the show too, our social media handles are at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. So go give us a follow, go give us a like if you aren't already. Again, I really appreciate you guys and your patience. Uh, well, we didn't record a few episodes there for a, a couple weeks. We're back now, and we'll be back to doing some consistent content. And again, mostly Tennessee men's and women's basketball focused. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel. Thank you all so much. And until next time, this has been the first of many episodes of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. <laughs>